And everybody says, amen. Amen. Good worship this morning. Good music. Hey, I want to tell you where we're going before we get there. So that when we get there, you know why we went there. Today we're going to end with a, a pastoral prayer with all the church, every Christian just gathered around the altar. All right? And that is so, so when it's the altar call, whether it's something specific that God has dealt with your heart about, the Holy Spirit's dealt with your heart about, or it's just time to come because I believe it's time to pray for our country, then uh, I just want to invite you to come and let the people of God agree together around the altar together for our nation. Can we do that? And we will uh, seek the Lord in that regard. In the sermon series that we're doing, I wanted to speak to you about the judgments of God. And in the book of Revelation, there are three sets of seven judgments. Actually, there's six, and the seventh leads into the next series of seven. There are the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl or the vial judgments. And each of them kind of increase with intensity, and each of them kind of increase with uh, frequency and intensity. And so by the time you come to the end of Revelation chapter 18, when the final of the judgments of God is placed upon the world, you see a world that is greatly under the judgment of God. Now, God sends judgment for several reasons. He, he, so there are times when God will send judgment to call sinners to repent. However, I think Romans chapter 2 and verse 8 is more the New Testament pattern where it says, therefore, the, by the goodness of God, many are called to repentance. It's not by judgment that God calls many to Christ. It's by his grace and his blessing and his provision and his goodness. It's not by fear. God doesn't want to scare any of you into loving him. He wants you to love him freely because you understand that he loves you freely. Then when you see the judgments, you always see it pitted in the context of, of, of God versus Satan. And so there's judgment on those who stand with Satan and his armies. There's judgment for those who stand in sin. There are judgment for those who stand as believers yet live in sin. And so there's just plenty of judgment going around. But I want to come at it from a little different take this morning. We've all just come through... 18 months of what is the most bizarre election any of us will ever remember. They will be writing about this election for decades and decades to come. And while some are rejoicing because their guy won, in the reek of a lot of child, this child a lot of adults behaving like children, America has been left divided and broken, cynical, judgmental. 
non-trusting, accusatory, non-believing, to some degree, depending on who you listen to, racist, intolerant, fear-driven, elitism, broken, and angry. And I don't think this happened just because of Tuesday's vote. I think these issues were just kind of welling up inside our collective culture for a long time. And you say, well, why are you speaking about it in church on Sunday morning? Because whether we like it or not, we get tainted even as much as we try not to, as much as we try to live by grace and by God's direction and by God's word and in God's blessings, we get tainted by the world, don't we? When Jesus washed the disciples' feet in the upper room, one of the reasons that he said he washed them is because they just lived among people of the earth and their feet get dirty. Not that they intentionally set out to get dirty, set out to sin. It's just by living in a sinful culture, the sinful attitudes of a sinful culture rub off on us. And if you followed with us during the seven series, the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation, you find that to be true. You find that the attitude of the culture had so wrapped up and became a part of the culture of the church. And in every one, except for two, in five out of the seven, he would stand against the culture of the day being a part of the church. We are not to be followers of the culture. We are to be followers of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, everything on that list has no place in your heart. But we have heard it. We have become that cynic. We, we've become that, that accusatory person against our brother and sister. And I mean, we, we, we just have become that. And Sardis, they looked alive, but they were dead. And that was certainly the culture of Sardis. And I'm not going to re-preach every message, but just to give you an idea. And so God judged that church because they lived a lie. They claimed to be something that they were not. They had the reputation of being vibrant and alive, but God knew their works and they were spiritually dead. They were infected by the culture. Thyatira had tolerated false living, immorality, known sin in the church, and they let it go. No one came alongside and said, my brother, my sister, that ought not to be named among the child of God. But yet no one in Thyatira stood up because they had adopted the culture of the day which says, as long as we're not hurting anybody and everybody's got a right to their opinion, you could just do what you want to do and everything be okay at Pergama. Not only did they tolerate false living, they tolerated false teaching. And it was either a church that quit reading the Bible or the Old Testament and quit going deeper, or they simply refused to grow 
and accept living in ignorance. Either way, it's wrong. Whether they knew it or they didn't know it, they quit growing and they quit living by the truth of God's word. In Laodicea, they were lukewarm. And it's not that God says, I wish you were cold. God doesn't want anybody to be cold spiritually. It, it, it refers to the cold, life-giving, refreshing waters of Colossae or the hot springs of higher polis. And, and I, he said, I wish you were either healing in your spiritual life or I wish you were refreshing and life-giving. But he says, you're none of that. You're not accomplishing the purpose that I put you on this earth for. You may be accomplishing your agenda, but you're not accomplishing what I, God says, put you on this earth for. And then there's the church of Ephesus. It's the one we started with. It's the one that I think is most like Kirby Church, or we're most like that church, because it's not like they just turned and walked away like Thyatira. It's not like they had dead works like Sardis. It's not that they were teaching false doctrine like Pergamon. It's not that they were necessarily lukewarm. They, they just shifted. If you have the King James Bible, it says you left your first love. If you have a newer translation, it kind of flips it around just a little bit. But the idea is that you left your first love. And the idea in that Greek language is that the leaving was your choice. And the word leaving doesn't mean that you get up and you just kind of leave the room like if I was to walk out behind the back of the stage and walk down the little ramp and go about my business. That's not what the word leave means. The word leave means just a subtle shift. That we were focused here, but now we've shifted to here. And then we shift to here. And the shifts seem so spiritual. I got married, shift. We bought a house, shift. Had kids, shift. None of these are bad things. None of these are wrong things. But God gave all of those things to enhance our relationship with him, not to make us or cause us to shift from our relationship to him. And Ephesus was this ever-shifting culture in an ever-shifting city, and the church took on the nature of the culture around it. And so, if you go back to the list that was just on the screen, racism and bigotry and intolerance and, and anger and cynicism, and, and all of those. You cannot listen to it for the last two years. You can't listen to it for the last 600 days and say it didn't affect you. Man, it does. I came out of the election feeling cheated. I don't know about you, and I don't care who you voted for, it is a done deal. I'm just telling you, for the first time in my life, there was not a worthy candidate that I felt unsoiled by giving my vote to. Does that make sense? Now, I did vote for one. But honestly, I walked away feeling cheated because there were, in the Republican branch, there were 16 good men. 
And on the Democratic side, there were at least three candidates. There were options. And yet we came down to the where, where the people that I talked to and the, the reason they voted for him or they voted for her is not because they liked what she stood for or what he stood for. They, they just simply disliked the other one. And I've even heard Christians say, I just hate her so much or I hated him so much. The fact of the matter is, if that is your statement, the culture has crept in on you. We're not to hate anybody. But God tells us there's a different way. Sometimes I think we forget what we are here for and what the purpose of our coming or what the purpose of Christ's coming is for. The whole book of Revelation is a wonderful book on discipleship. And I am probably one of the few pastors who will ever use revelation and discipleship in the same phrase. Because if you read through it, God is wanting to encourage his people to remain steadfast, no matter what they see in the world around them. To not be a part of the world, but live above the world. Not appropriate the world's attitudes as their own, but appropriate Christ's attitude at their own. Who, even though he was despised and rejected, he did not revile in return. He did not hate in return. When, when people jeered him and mocked him and ridiculed him, his response <coughs> was life giving. See, sometimes I think we forget what we are here for. And I think the book of Revelation reminds us what we are here for. We are here to live a life worthy of the one who is on the throne as John, or Revelation, as John wrote in Revelation 1, as he wrote in Revelation 4 and 5, as he will write again in Revelation chapters 19 and 20, that the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that Jesus Christ gave his life so that you and I might share the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't know his love, to those who don't know his message, to those who have never heard his word, to those who don't understand his truth. And my friends, that is the majority of the folks that are, that are in the world today. We do not live in Christian America anymore. But the good news is that in the book of Revelation, the seven churches didn't live in Christian Asia Minor either. And they had a wonderful opportunity to plant a church and make an impact and make a, make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so John would continue to pass the message on to the churches, rebuking them for taking on the attitudes of the culture around them instead of the attitudes of Christ that's on the throne. And he takes us through all of the judgments. And where do you see Jesus Christ at the end of the judgments? You see him be the same place he was before any of it got started on the throne. Now for a child of God, this ought to remove fear of the book of Revelation. 
Because he was on the throne, he is on the throne, and praise God, he will forever be on the throne. Doesn't matter if you can explain the the third bowl judgment or not. It doesn't matter if you can explain the second seal judgment or not or the fourth trumpet judgment or not. He is still on the throne, ruling, reigning. It's the great I am that you sang about today. The great I am. And so Jesus says... You're not to have the attitudes of the culture, but you're to have the attitudes of the Spirit. Matter of fact, if you want to know the kind of attitudes that you and I are supposed to have, here's where they're found. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Love. You didn't hear a whole lot of that, did you? Joy. Peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The Bible would say against such that there is no law. That's what we're to be like. Not like the culture. Not cynical, but gentle. Not untrusting, but loving. Not ungrateful, but but full of, full of goodness. We're not to be hate-filled. We're to be goodness-filled. We're not to be people absent of faith. We're to be people of faith. I will tell you that as I have kind of The only kind of joy I've had in this thing is watching the news media eat a little crow going, how could we have missed it so bad? And if you listen to the news, they talk about a broken, racist, bigoted, divided America. And if there was ever a time that the world needs the healing message of hope and grace and mercy and the story of redemption, it is today. Yes, we have an answer for the anger in the world. Yes, we have an answer for the racism in the world. Yes, we have an answer for the cynicism in the world. Yes, we have an answer for the discontented spirit in the world. Yes, we have an answer for the for the whatever spirit, fill in the blank. There is an answer in God's word, and it is found in Jesus. But I think we take on the, the, the attitudes of the culture so much that society and the culture can't tell who we are on Monday except for what we do on Sunday. And if the only thing that separates us from them is one hour on Sunday morning, we have totally misunderstood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I believe with all of my heart, by the way, this is not original to me. I I got this when I was visiting Nathan Bear up at his church. I like it a lot. 
He says we are called to impact our world with the love and message of Jesus Christ. That's everyone, every day, everywhere. That's all of us. You go, hey, preacher, that's your job. Okay, I accept that. That's my job. But Scripture also says it's your job. Scripture also says we're to be loving and kind and gentle and grace-filled and long-suffering with self-control. We're called to impact our world with the love and the message. And if there was ever a time, I'm telling you, when the, I, I agree. There's the only thing I've agreed with the news media since this whole election thing started. I do agree people are hurting. And I think the reason they're hurting is because they have looked to politics to be their savior. And politics will not save anyone. The savior of our country and the savior of our world is where he has always been on the throne. And we're called to make an impact in Flat Rock, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, State of Michigan, United States of America, and yes, around the world, we're called to impact our world with the love of Jesus Christ. With the love of Jesus Christ. With the love of Jesus Christ. Not racism, not hatred. Not self-serving interests. Not being the cynic or being the bigot. But by loving as Jesus would love. Loving as Jesus would love? All you have to do is go through John's gospel to figure out the same John who wrote the book of Revelation is to figure out how Jesus would love. <laughs> In John chapter 1, he, he loves the fishermen. Not the most educated bunch around the Sea of Galilee, but he loves them anyway. In John chapter 2, there's the wedding feast of Gana, Cana of Galilee, and he loves the bride and the groom and, and all that were there. He didn't want them to be embarrassed by being out of the, out of the, the wine and the, and the food for the wedding. And so he takes care of that. In John chapter 3, he's with an elitist, Nicodemus. And he loves him. In John 4, he's with the harlot, the whore of the city, the woman at the well. And, and he loves her. In, in John 5, there's the, there, there's the pull up and say, in John 6, the little boy gives us lunch. And, and you could just keep going on and on and on. Jesus loves and we can talk about programming, we can talk about this, and we can talk about all we want to talk. But I'm telling you, the thing that will change the world and the thing that touched your heart and turned you toward Jesus was somewhere you felt the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. And you and I get to be ambassadors of that love. And so we're called to impact the world with the love and the message of Jesus Christ. What's the message the message is simply to share the good news of the gospel. To share the good news of the gospel. To go soul winning. Just to share your faith. I understand it's going to look different today because of political correctness. You may not be able to do it in the marketplace like you once were. And so what do you do? 
You don't throw your hands up in despair. Why don't you invite them to lunch? Why don't you invite them to your house for dinner? Why don't you invite them to your home where you can share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be fishers of men. We're called to go fishing. In in a culture that wants things ready-made and ready-baked, we are called to go fishing. Max Lucado tells of a story of him and his father and his brothers going fishing, and the whole trip was a disaster. I mean, from the beginning to the end, the whole thing was a disaster. And so at the end of his story in his book, he, he says, I didn't learn much about fishing that trip, but I learned a lot about people. And here's what he wrote. And it is so appropriate for our time. He said, when those who are called to fish, that's you and me, we're called to impact our world with the love and the message of Jesus Christ. So they don't have to endure God's judgment and spend eternity in hell. We have the responsibility to share the good news of the gospel. He says, when those of us who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the results are explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. And rather than helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. The result? Church scrooges, bah humbug spirituality... Ready eyes searching for warts on others while ignoring the warts on the nose below. Crooked fingers that bypass strengths and point out weaknesses. Split churches, poor testimonies, broken hearts, legalistic wars. And sadly, the poor go unfed, the confused go uncounseled, and the lost, they go unreached. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. But note the other side of the fish tail when those who are called to fish, fish, they flourish. And the church flourishes. And the name of Christ is uplifted and glorified. And Jesus Christ is exalted. And people get saved. The book of Revelation is about encouragement. And I don't... I don't think there's ever been a better time since that book has been written for you and I to go fishing. I think the world needs to hear the message accompanied with the love and let's as the church go fishing. Telling the message with the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ is on the throne And yes, he's coming back. Judgment will come. But if you know him as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing to fear. I want to ask that you stand to your feet.